Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you would like more information about First Baptist Church of Silva, please visit firstbaptistsilva.com. You see, that verse 28 is the hook into Epiphany. Immediately in this moment, people's eyes were getting open. The folks around were hearing the news. They're finding out that that perhaps God is doing something special and unique through this Jesus, this Nazarene. That God is making his presence known, offering a living water to the world. So that, that brings me into this Epiphany. Uh, season and says, yeah, there's, there's something about which we should be alive and alert and, and our souls should be renewed and, and we should have a better uh, recognition of who God is and what he's doing in our midst. But just as I've already explained, I'll, I say again, as Jesus cast out this unclean spirit in the singular from a man in the synagogue who stood up in the midst of the crowd, while teaching at the synagogue in Capernaum, Jesus cast this, exercised this impure spirit from the man, from the individual. His voice, that individual's voice, crucially, he spoke in the plural. And I don't know, I, I've missed this through the years. I wondered, I, I don't know what I thought. I guess I just didn't think. But I suggest to you this morning, and maybe I can't prove it, but I suggest it's a strong possibility, if not probably the case, that he was presuming to speak for that synagogue congregation. And you'll hear some presumptuous voices from time to time. Hopefully that kind of division and manipulation won't happen ever in this place. As I sense it probably doesn't much, you know. But it can happen in places. Well, in fact, I, I have just a real quick uh, example that might help. I was at the John C. Campbell Folk School last week teaching wood turning. Wood turning, actually. Uh, well, we don't burn it until it's trash, usually. <laughs> but uh, wood turning, and we had a wonderful week. But to take 10 students around these uh, very dangerous machines, and I had an assistant, and to coach them through learning how to turn wood, is marvelous, but it's not just an individual process. It's not just me worried about this student at that lathe or, or Marsha over here at this lathe and so forth. It is a, a desire during that week that they would gel in some sense as a class and come into some cooperative spirit amongst them. And you know what had happened? They were all beginners and it was wonderful. They, had, they encouraged one another. The slower ones were uh, encouraged and, and uh, supported by the faster ones, and it, it went great. Well, as it turned out this week, I stayed an extra day or two and, and helped Tony, my assistant. He became the lead teacher for a, a little project of making a, uh, a, a milking stool, a little three-leg milk stool. Here's how things changed when the new class came in. Six of our students were beginners, which was gonna be pretty challenging for this project. Two of them walked in, one of them said, well, I've been turning wood for 30 years. The other one walked in and Tony recognized him immediately. He's a, something of a YouTube phenomenon. Well, I, I think this is legitimate to say he had over, uh, over, and I'm not exaggerating, I looked at it just recently, 10 million views. And Tony looked and saw and recognized him and went, Oh. Now, can you imagine the potential for disaster if this very accomplished woodturner had presumed to step in and take our place? Especially if they were speaking contradictory 
opinions about matters? Well, it turns out the story is good to tell here because he was not that way. <laughs> he was very supportive, came to hang out, and, and it was a wonderful experience. But you see, uh, the group dynamic is important, and sometimes all it takes is a small gesture to get people to think and do things. We'll see how this unfolds here. But I'm simply focusing on and want to focus on two accounts of the scripture. We've read one of them where God delivers, in some sense, uh, communities of faith, or at least he confronts communities of faith and their tendency towards unclean and impure spirits, those presumptuous voices of distraction that um, distract us at best, but at worst they can become quite disastrous when they're demonic in their actions and interest. And uh, as a body, as the body of Christ meeting in this place at Silva First Baptist Church, we have the opportunity to discern the, the voice of God as it's moving toward us in the spirit of Christ and wanting to heal and to bring life to us. And we can celebrate that. And you can continue to celebrate that and be filled with joy. And that's simply my prayer that, uh, that God's authoritative grace is presented to us in the spirit of Christ would overcome any tendency that I might have or you might have or any body might have to be divided and there's... Is it easy to get divided these days over things? You, you want to have a fight about something? It's probably not hard to mention a news media outlet or something and you'll have somebody from the other side, right, in a hurry. We have that tendency to manipulate or to be ma manipulated. And what, what is it? Why do you even join a congregation? Well, it's to worship God, certainly. But it's also because you can have a sense of belonging. I belong to this group. It's also for a sense of clarity and purpose in this world. It's for a sense of identity. But here's when it starts to go south, is when your purpose in joining a group is all about power or even just safety. It can be quite ugly what can come from a group of people getting together trying to protect themselves. And we're still perhaps as control. So what are the dynamics at work here? I've, I've mentioned this wood turning class thing. In, in this account in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus has been baptized by John in the Jordan. Um, number one, that was a turnaround. Tony assisted me for the first week. I assisted him for the weekend. Okay, here's John the Baptist saying, I, you know, I should be being baptized by you. But the Lord came and was baptized. He called to himself Simon and Andrew and James and John. They begin to follow Jesus. And they go in Mark's gospel and we find him almost immediately in Capernaum teaching a Bible lesson, I, I suspect, teaching a Bible lesson on the Sabbath in the synagogue. Proclaiming, I suggest, very clearly, uh, probably focusing his message on verse 15, which of course was not in our reading. But Mark chapter 1 verse 15 says, Jesus said, the time is fulfilled. This was his message. This was the beginning program for him in the Gospel of Mark. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. Change your minds. Change your direction. And believe in the Gospel. That was his message. And I believe that's the message he took into the, into the uh, synagogue at Capernaum. But somehow that, you know, that stirred up this... Um, unclean, impure spirit. Because here's a claim upon the loyalties of the people that the kingdom of God is the real place, the real kingdom to which we answer. 
all kingdoms otherwise will fail, right? We sang, we sang how great thou art a moment ago. This, is, this alludes to this fact that, that there is one kingdom that's worth any of our attention, and that goes for nations or anything else. They're all penultimate. They're prior to the end. The kingdom of God is what we're a part of already, and ultimately we'll find our rest in. Well, that bothered this impure spirit because that was a challenge to his authority. That was a challenge to the status quo of that congregation. I don't know all, I can't psychologize and figure out and I can't presume to speak for what was going on in the heart of the devil at that point, this impure spirit. But it was trying to protect its status quo in that congregation, I'm satisfied. And so it stood up and spoke out and called out Jesus and said, well, you, you know, you just go on down the road because your kind of gospel presentation is bad for business here. The kind of business this impure spirit wanted to be a part of. And it's as clear as it can be. I pointed it out and emphasized it in verse 24. What business do we have with each other about whom else could he be speaking? I know you're thinking about the other story where there's a, a spirit that's a legion. That's not this story. And that's nowhere implied here. When he, that person rose up and said, Jesus, you're threatening us with all this talk of grace and of redemption and repentance. You're threatening us. That impure spirit was speaking for the group, at least it thought it was. Presumption of the utmost. And Jesus silenced the spirit, called it out in the singular of that man in the spirit. And, and this happens in contemporary situations as well. I see this kind of unfolding in different places is they don't go without a fight. They don't go without being ugly sometimes. And that's what happened here. Spasms, a loud cry, but the power of God through Jesus Christ, he left. The impure spirit went out. And the congregation, dumbfounded, amazed, astounded, they recognized the authority of Jesus. And as we read it, his teaching was powerful and it mattered to them. And so word about Jesus began to go out through all the region. Epiphany, hallelujah. There's a state of amazement in their lives bordering on fear. Now move with me, if you would, to take your, if you've got your scripture and you wanna look at it, a pew Bible, whatever but to Luke's Gospel, chapter 4. And let's consider briefly another moment uh, in a synagogue, a different synagogue, where Jesus is teaching. And things don't quite go so well in this situation. In Luke's Gospel, we actually find Jesus, he's been in Capernaum in the first, right after the temptation in Luke chapter 4. He's been in Capernaum, but we still don't hear this story in Luke's Gospel until after the Nazareth event. I'm going to just walk through this story with you because this, this account of Jesus at Nazareth takes a frightening turn. And I put this in relief. I wanted to walk alongside with the Mark story, with the Mark account of Jesus at Capernaum, just to make sure that we understand what we're dealing with and how valuable and how high the stakes are. So we find Jesus in Luke chapter 4, verse 14, Returning to Galilee and the power of the Spirit and the news about him spread through all the surrounding district. Remember that? That sounds familiar. This is beginning to happen. And in verse 15, he began teaching in their synagogues and was praised by all. So far, so good. 
He came to Nazareth, verse 16, where he had been brought up. Uh Uh-oh, he's back in the hometown. That can be good. That can be bad. And as was his custom, Jesus was in a habit of going to church, if you please. He entered the synagogue on Sabbath and stood up to read. Usually the teacher taught from a seated position in the synagogues, but they would stand to read. They would, a very ceremonious moment where they'd bring the scroll from its safe keeping place, this community scroll, and they'd open the scroll to the reading for the day. By the way, they used something like a lectionary even then. They were accustomed to reading this text at this time. But Jesus found the text from which he would read, and this is what he read. The book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, verse 17. He opened the book, found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel, good news, to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, and in a situation where few of us feel oppression, this might be hard to relate to. But they were hearing this and understanding it. And we need to understand how countercultural this possibly could be as well. Again, this is loaded language politically. I'm sorry, it is. This is the Word of God. Right? You have to read what it is. So, set free those who are oppressed and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Let me just unpack that one quickly. That's a year of jubilee he's talking about. And doesn't that sound nice? Every seven years, you're supposed to let your lands lie fallow and uh, give the land a break. And, and you were supposed to have prepared for that and, and not, you know, had a real business going during that seventh year. After seven years of seven, that's 49, right? On that 50th year, you've heard of jubilee, right? You have a year of jubilee. Did you know that everybody's property was supposed to revert to its original owners then? And all the taxes were to be given, be forgiven? Hallelujah. <laughs> Jesus is preaching some important, or reading some important scripture here. And he stopped at this point and rolled up the scroll and put it away. And that's, a, that's rather important too, because the next few verses are a lot about judgment and condemnation. He stopped. He stopped with his proclamation of the favorable year of the Lord. And how did it happen? He closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, sat down so he could teach. The eyes of all in the synagogue are looking at him. They're fixed upon him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture is fulfilled, has been fulfilled in your hearing. That's pretty remarkable. Jesus is living into this authority which he's already demonstrated and has been noted in the Gospel of Mark. And so all are speaking of him well in verse 22. Oh, but watch out how the crowd can turn on you. They're speaking of him well. They're wondering at his gracious words which were falling from his lips. They're saying, isn't this Joseph's son? They're incredulous. They can't believe that the hometown boy could be claiming such as this. And he said to them, noting that, uh, you know, there's something on the horizon possibly. He said to them, no doubt you'll quote this proverb, To me, physician, heal yourself. Whatever we heard was done in Capernaum where he had done healings and had a good ministry going. Whatever we heard was done in Capernaum, do it here in your hometown as well. Well, Jesus said, well, truly, no prophet is welcome in his hometown. 
But after that, and here's where it really gets interesting, because after that little aphorism, after that quip, and, and he returns to them, he tells them two stories. And this made them angry. I can't say it strong enough. I should raise my voice. This drove them crazy. Listen, what they what, what he, verse 25. I say to you the truth, Jesus said. There were many widows in Silva. Oh, I'm sorry, Israel. There were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah. When the sky was shut up for three years and six months, when a great famine came over all the land, and yet Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Bryson City or Waynesville or Asheville or Atlanta, to Zarephath in the land of Sidon. Oh, Elijah was sent to Japan or to Beirut. Now, this is a red-blooded group of folks here in Nazareth. And Jesus just said, God, when he sent Elijah, didn't, during this famine, didn't send him to the hometown. He sent him to the foreigners, to borrow a term. And if that's not enough, he says another story. First Elijah, now Elisha. And there were many lepers in the land of the time of Elisha, the prophet. None of them were cleansed. Only Naaman, the, what was he? Syrian. Please catch the import of that. He wasn't even American. <laughs> all the people in the synagogue and here it is here's the difference in responses at first in Capernaum we read about an individual speaking up and calling Jesus out because he perceived the threat of grace and there's a threat to true profound abundant grace there's a that's a threat to people with control and and power and uh, being in this wanting to keep the status quo well in Nazareth when he preached such a pointed message and this is a pointed message all the people, verse 28, in the synagogue were filled with rage as they heard these things. Have you, have you had ever a moment that you can remember when you were so filled with passion that you got up right then and did something about it? Now, I'm not recommending that you get filled with rage, especially not with me. <laughs> but I do say that uh, we ought to be moved to passion as we are met by the Spirit of God, because that's what happened that they're responding to. What could have been a healing passion and grace became a rage, and they heard these things, and they got up and drove him out of the city. They led him to the brow of the hill on which uh, their city had been built in order to throw him down the cliff. It was a lynch mob. But passing through their midst, he went his way. So he was graciously delivered. Well, sum this up or bring this to a head. <clears throat> this synagogue experience is before, if you keep reading, the very next experience is exactly what we read from Mark. It's the synagogue experience where Jesus cast out this demon. 
And Jesus in his preaching, and especially his emphasis on God bringing grace to Gentiles, lit a fuse of anger in this, I call it an ethnocentric congregation. There are a lot of ways you could say that, which may or may not land well with you. So I'm not gonna say them probably. <laughs> but he lit the fuse, that flashpoint, and they became a lynch mob and they were gonna throw him off a cliff. They were going to kill our Jesus. And I wondered what voices were being heard in Nazareth? What impure spirits were murmuring and speaking out? And you know, it's, it's, I go to the tourist ball games once in a while. I'm not a big sports person, but I enjoy going with Jack Henson and some of them over to the tourist ball game. And, and you know, heckling is a part of the baseball art, right? You're supposed to do that. I'm learning this. And so somebody in the back says, kill the ref, you know, or the ump, whatever. See how much of a fan I am. <laughs> and the crowd, you know, begins to join that. What voices were going on in Nazareth? You're, you're here to destroy us. He's talking about grace, God loving other people besides just us. We can't have that kind of talk in here. I wonder as I look in the Luke passages describing all this, whether Jesus toned it down a little bit when he got to Capernaum. <laughs> I don't want to cause the same thing next time, this time. So where the folks at Capernaum were in this excited and uh, uh, amazement that was maybe bordering on fear, in Nazareth we see this outburst of wrath and passion. Well, what can we expect? as the gospel unfolds in Silva in the years and days ahead, months and weeks. I, I thought of two places that I think we should just briefly hear because it's so encouraging. As the Spirit of Christ comes and you debate and you talk and you listen and you search and you pray and you seek God's will and direction, what does God really intend for us? Mark's Gospel, chapter 16, a couple of verses from this section which uh, came late to the manuscripts, but I think are helpful for us because here's a Je another Jesus appearance to a congregation. This time a frightened bunch of disciples. And afterward he appeared to the 11 themselves, Mark chapter 16, verse 14. As they were reclining at the table, they'd gotten back together to eat. That's, good. That's okay, Baptists didn't invent that. invent that. They'd gotten together to eat. And he reproached them for their unbelief and hardness of heart. He said, come on, folks, you should be understanding this by now. And because they had not believed those who had seen him after he had risen. They had some eyewitness testimonies about the empty grave. And they were slow to understand it. But in verse 15, he says, go and to all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. So we have purpose as God's people. Very clear from Mark's gospel. If we go over to Luke's gospel and once again catch this moment where Jesus appears to the disciples. Again, they're in the upper room. He's had this event in Luke's gospel with the, the pair, the couple from Emmaus, and he had encouraged them and their eyes were opened. They had an epiphany as he broke bread and they said, that was the Lord, wasn't it? That's why our hearts were burning. And now later in the room, they come back together at Jerusalem. And down in verse 36 in Luke chapter 24, they're telling these things, this pair from Emmaus are telling the other disciples this thing, that, that he himself stood in their midst and said to them, peace be to you. That's a key word. To discern the difference in the impure spirit 
and the Spirit of Christ. There's some key words. Forgiveness, grace, love, peace, mercy, repentance, yes. And Jesus came to them and said, Peace be to you. And they were startled and frightened and thought they'd seen a spirit. You see how the potential for an impure spirit there was? They, they, could have, they could have roused up and said, wait a minute. But they didn't. And Jesus said to them, why are you troubled? Why do your doubts arise in your heart? Look, my hands and my feet. It's me. Touch me. And then down in verse 45 where I want to end this up. Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures. That's why churches come together and have Bible study and worship so that we can understand the word of God which has been written for the people of God, the word of God, the living word of God, which has been given to us in Christ Jesus. He opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Now this is what he wanted them to understand. And this is as crucial as any of the rest of it. That Christ, the Messiah, our Lord and Savior. What are the next two words? This is New American Standard. It may be different, I suppose, there. But he wrote that. We, we read that. Christ would suffer. Christ would suffer. And at the hands of the evil spirits that run this world, the Christian can take the way of the world and try to take control and say, I'm not about to suffer. I'll give them what for and they'll be sorry they hurt me. Or they can walk with the cross which Christ took up and understand the mission of Christ, which Jesus went on to say, preach repentance for forgiveness of sins. Proclaim it to all the nations, beginning in Jerusalem. And how did it end up for them? After he ascends into heaven in Luke's gospel, they went back to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually, regularly in the temple, in the church, praising God. That's what will keep you centered in these days and weeks and months ahead. To come together and to worship. To recognize the Spirit of Christ coming close to you. To be alert to voices which are discordant, that don't match up with this loving power of God. And to hear instead grace and forgiveness and to preach it and to encourage it in each other. Thanks be to God. You see, when we pray, deliver us from evil, it's in the collective, it's in the plural. It's not just get me out of a bad way, it's keep us safe, and God does. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen.